and welcome to another I Decided podcast. These podcasts are all about having conversations with people who lived a little bit above ordinary. They decided to plan a life they want to live in or create a business on purpose. My name is Ian Edwards and I'm a business coach and I take time each month to have a conversation with someone who I believe will be inspirational and encourage you to live a life above average. These conversations have been with some friends of mine, some clients that I've been able to work with, some people that I've met in different spaces, or they've just been some people that I've met on my travels, and I find them very interesting people and would love to have a conversation with them to find out what made their business successful or to find out why their life is making a difference. Thank you for taking the time to join us today, and I hope you come away from this conversation inspired to think about your life. So I hope one day I get to interview you and hear your story about how you planned the life you wanted to live in or how you bought your business on purpose. Grab a cuppa, sit back, enjoy this conversation that we have. I would like to introduce you today to David Christie. Recently we were travelling through South Australia. We'd just left the Flinders Ranges and were on our way down towards the York Peninsula and my son-in-law had told me about a place in Wilmington in South Australia, which is called the SA Toy Museum. Jeff was friends with the owner down there, whose name is David Christie, and he said it'd be really worthwhile for us to call in and have a look. So we added Wilmington to our travel plans, and lo and behold, when we arrived there, I knew why Jeff was interested in it, because it had half a dozen Land Rovers out the front, and Jeff has a real passion towards Land Rovers. But then when we walked inside, we were just amazed by the amount of toys and the amount of memorabilia and the whole variety that was in the SA Toy Museum. So I asked David if he'd be happy to do an I Decided podcast. And David's agreed with me. And today I have this opportunity to share with David about his journey into business and why he opened the SA Toy Museum. And and, uh, some of these things, they more happen as an evolution rather than a plan, but it's it's exciting uh, to hear uh, how the SA Toy Museum come, come about and why it still is one of the uh, central tourist attractions in, in rural um, South Australia. So welcome, David, and thank you for joining me today. Yeah, good morning, Ian. Yeah, it's exciting to have you on board. So... David, today I just wanted to open our conversation with just asking you, what was the first glimpse of inspiration you had about opening this museum? And and as we've talked before, it was more of a bit of an evolution than a, than a full plan. But, but what inspired you to start the SA Toy Museum? It was just something I always wanted to do, to share my passion. But it was one of those things that it didn't sort of, uh, I didn't have any plan about it. It was just a thought that, you know, I've been collecting toys, you know, for like 60 years. And it's one of those things that it's just got bigger and bigger and bigger. So at the end of the day, it was somewhere I wanted to display my stuff so I could share with other people and also meet other people that have got the same sort of interests as I have. Is actually what has happened. Tell me about some of the collections that you have there. Well, we've got a full collection of dinky toys, other than colours. We've got a complete collection of dinky toys on display from 1933 to 1979. So it's every casting that was made. So tell me, David, what's so special about dinky toys? 
Well, they're not unique to Australia. They were sold in Australia. They were sold all, right. all around the world. They were made in Liverpool in the UK by Frank Hornby from the Meccano factory. So Meccano was uh, first come out in 1898, and I've got stuff from about 1903 onwards to 79, and then the modern stuff that's made in France. Frank Hornby designed Hornby Trains in 1920, and then Dinky Toys in 1933. So I've got a big collection of Hornby trains and Meccano. I've seen that collection of your train set, and it's truly amazing. It is so interactive yeah. for you know for children who are going to come through there to be just absolutely fascinating. But for adults, it's 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 inspirational the way you've put it all together there. With the Dinky toys, it's just something that I've just tried to collect every one of them. Um, now I'm just chasing different colours, but. You know, they're not all in mint condition. Some are, you know, probably, you know, 40% of what's in there are. The other ones, I just leave and just collect them as they are. I don't restore them. I think they look better when they've been played with. Yes. Yeah, well, and people, can re- and people, people just relate to that more than, say, if it's a mint model, they go, oh, I have one of them, but it wasn't in as good a condition as that. It was it. At the end of the day, it's how everybody remembers them. So tell me some more about your collection down there. Right. Well, then we've got all the Matchbox cars from 1953 onwards, which is November 53 to 1979. Most of them in the boxes. They're all original. There's no restored models or anything like that in amongst them. Some might have a, a cracked glass or something like that, windows section or pole bar broken off, but they're all original. At least I've got you know, most of what was there. And there's some super rare ones, and I've got half of the super rare ones, which I've just collected and just managed to get over the years. I in particularly had someone come up and I got a box full of Matchbox, so to speak, cars, and in there there was two quite rare models, so I was quite pleased with that lot. It was a good find. And it's surprising how you do find these ultra-rare models and people... You know, get really excited over them and you put them on eBay and they probably go, stupid prices. I keep them for myself. I don't sell on eBay. (laughs) So we've covered Dinky and we've covered Matchbox and I saw a huge collection of Land Rovers and all the different types that were there as well. So tell me about those, some of the different models you have. So, you know, the passion is with Land Rovers. Dad had them, so my son's got them and so we've got, you know, quite a few here on display, like real ones. But then we've got like nearly 1,400 now model and toy Land Rovers wow. of all shapes, sizes, colours, conditions, whatever. It's the largest collection of them in South Australia and I believe in Australia. And you've got some life-size ones outside as well. Yeah, we've got some real ones. We've got from 1949 on, onwards, the 1949 Series 180-inch which we restored back, I think, must have been 2000 or something, 2008 or two, yeah, 2008, I think it might have been, yeah. No, it's great. So how have you gone formulating over time to turn essentially a hobby and an interest, how have you gone turning that into a business? And what are some of the challenges that you've had to face uh, in, in marketing the, the whole idea of, of a toy museum from a, from a hobby to create a bona fide business? Yeah, well, it's still a hobby. 
<laughs> yeah, it, you don't make enough to, to live off it. All it does is, is pays the bills that come in, like insurance and stuff like that, because we only charge $5 for admission. So kids are free. It's the thing I wanted to open up to the public so that they can see some of their childhood memories and it can go back, you know, anywhere from 1900 to now. So kids of all ages, you know, from eight to 80, so can understand and relate to something that's actually in the museum. So, which is, which is good because a lot of people come in and they go, oh, I remember this. I had one of those and oh, and it done this. And they try to show their kids and what they've got. But it's uh, interesting. What's what, what's a couple of the greatest challenges that you've had as you've built it over the years? Probably to get people in the door. That's that's the biggest challenge. So, but if you've got someone in there and they're on their way out, and someone's umming and ahhing at the door, whether they want to go and spend eight dollars on a coffee or come in here in the museum for five dollars, you know, bring back a lot of memories, and see, you know, probably the, the biggest toy collection on display privately owned in Australia. They, um, they sort of, some people just don't understand the concept or why it, it happens, you know, or why I want to do that. But, you know, once they're in, they're just absolutely amazed. They're blown away. So it's good when people are outside and they say, you know, you really should go in there. There's more in there than you really think. Yeah. Everybody that comes in are just blown away. And I think like yourself, when you came in, I think you was probably a little bit surprised at what was in here. Oh, I was very surprised. I would have paid three times as much to to just enjoy it and still felt that was a bargain. It is just an amazing collection. You will not see anywhere else in Australia. No, well, that's true. That That's pretty right. You know, like people say, oh, you've seen one museum, you've seen them all, but this is pretty unique. So we're pretty um, lucky to have it on display so that people can you know, appreciate it as well appreciate the comments that people give me too you know yeah and they say oh wow i'd never ever thought that existed i thought i had the only one yeah you know i haven't got everything but i've got a lot of stuff and there's a lot of variety in the museum yeah so what's what's been some of the greatest challenges in putting the museum together in the sense of the items that you've collected um probably getting full collections of things okay some of the items that's probably the biggest challenge with with that you know you do a lot of searching a lot of looking on on different places you know like uh, ebay and marketplace and you know you go to garage sales or people like come in and say they've got something so it's it's just a way of you've got to sort of put yourself out there to actually find the stuff to put in the museum and make it more not that this is all what i like this mm-hmm. is what I've got to put in there, what other people will like as well. Yes, yeah. You, know, you know, I just like trains and cars and planes, but I've got boats and board games and novelty toys and, and, and a few dolls and a few um, sewing machines and things like that. So you've got to have a variety. You've got to, you can't just sort of have just model trains, say, for instance, because then it becomes boring. 
So variety, um, varieties of the spice of life, they tell us. But I was going to actually have a uh, one of the questions I want to ask you is who would be most attractive to it demographically? So what would the women find when they come to the museum? When they when they come in the museum, they you'll be surprised. A lot of women actually had matchbox cars, and it's surprising the number of people that when they come in they say that, which is quite surprising actually. Right, you know they. Want to play with dolls? I've got a few dolls in here, and like the little tiny dolls and novelty toys and tea sets and you know sewing machines and cash registers, all the board games and things like that, and the Beetle games and just general consensus of it all is that it's a good variety of toys. The female side of the population enjoy it just as much. Oh, I know Donna did when we were there. She. She thoroughly enjoyed it. But what would you think would be the most attractive or commented thing on by the men? Oh, probably that they come in and they say, oh, I had a, a triangle train set and something like that, or they had a Hornby train set, or they had DT toys or matchbox cars, and they, they're surprised when they said, oh, okay, I had that one, I had that one, oh, I had that one, oh, I've still got that one. It's good because then they can relate to things and sort of, open up as if to say oh we did play with toys at some stage do you ever get emotional responses from people when they're they're almost brought to tears or brought to kind of laughter or some some real happy emotions when when people can identify with with a treasured memory from the past for themselves yes that does happen it happens more more often than not actually you'd be surprised because people can relate to something and they hadn't seen it for like maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 or 60 years or 70 years and they come in and they go, oh, wow, you know, and then they get, oh, I remember that. Oh, I used to, oh, you know, like that's that's how they sort of react to some of those things and it's uh, very, very moving actually mm. with people coming in. Yeah, I know for myself it was uh, coming near the anniversary of my uncle uh, passing and there was uh, an FJ uh, Holden um, toy there and and then there was the EH there and uh, I have an EH myself but uh, seeing both those just reminded me deeply of my uncle for that moment and yeah it was a little emotional and but it was fun seeing other matchbox toys that I'd had as a kid yeah well you know that's as you say you know that's what it brings back memories and a lot of good memories for a lot of people and they walk out and they go oh wow you know that was that was more than I thought and you know, I thought the, I didn't think it'd be as much as that. So the comments like yesterday were just truly amazing. We had a really busy day yesterday yeah. in the public holiday. A nice opportunity to say happy birthday to King Charles. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it makes it makes life interesting. Where do you see you would like the business to move to now? What What do you feel is the next stage of the growth of the SA Toy Museum? Now Adrian's gonna take it over he said oh i don't want you to sell it um he wants to take it over so and keep it so whether it would be open as much or not i don't know adrian's your son yeah my son and has he inherited the father's passion yeah well he's into well he's just started to build engage model railways back at christmas time and uh, he spent quite a few dollars on setting up a area in the museum so he's now got a would be 
uh, 17 foot by five foot area, which is collared. And he said, oh, I'll make that into an N-gauge model railway. So we just went to a train show on the weekend. He just bought himself a Z-gauge model railways because he reckons the N-gauge was too big. You know, he's just gone into Z-gauge. So we've got quite a few gauges of model railways in the museum and outside. Oh, it's amazing the amount of people that find therapy through uh, putting together train sets or car sets or <clears throat> collectibles themselves. How have you found that with, with yourself? Is is there a therapeutic nature to what you're doing? Well, I think it gives you, a, um, you know, like some people do other things, but I do it because, you know, I think, oh, that keeps me going. I'll look for that and it gives you something to do, an incentive to keep doing the same thing, yep. looking for something you have or you want out of, you know, to finish something off or whatever. It's always a always a find when when you when you get something that you really wanted and yeah, you get a bit excited. So yeah, so it doesn't go in the cabinet straight away. It sits in the lounge for a while and then then it will go outside in the museum in the cabinet. Yeah. It's interesting when a when a business passes from one generation to another to keep the enthusiasm and to keep the the dream alive. Simon Sinek uh, is a very popular business author, and he, he wrote a wrote a book. It's called Start with Why. And sometimes when we start with why, we can model that for our kids, and and generationally they just get it. There's another interview I'm going to be doing with um, the owner of a tea tree. Uh, plantation on Kangaroo Island and they they've moved generationally now and the next generation has taken it over because growing up under the passion of their parents and the passion their parents had for the business has really injected into them a, a real passion for the business as well this the next stage is modernization is making it you know relevant uh, not only just in the marketplace but relevant in in the marketing of the business and I noticed when I was there, it's almost like you're running out of room, David. Uh, you could have twice as much space and it'd still look, you know, you, you're at what I call burst potential. So do you, see, oh, yeah. <laughs> do you see an opportunity for making what you've currently got larger? Um, well, we want to put a shed up outside and so we'll put the miniature cars in there. Yeah. Um, so that's what's going to happen. That'll happen in the very near future. So that will house the the Bentley, the Rolls Royce, the the Jeep, the Land Rover, and the Bugatti. Okay. So that's a good collection of vehicles, just in their own. Yeah. Well, they're only half scale or three quarter scale models, but yep. they all drive. Yes. All drive. Yeah. That's oh, it's just incredible to see what you've got there. What do you think needs to happen now, right now, to the museum to make it grow in it in its next level of potential? Probably to get it out there more because people just are on their way somewhere A to B and they don't usually stop. If you've got a good reason for them to stop, they'll stop. So that's why there's the Land Rovers and the Jeeps and other certain cars. We've got Valiants as well. So, you know, like I'll change the cars around and put different cars out front so it gives them people an attraction, so that they an incentive, so to speak, to stop. So, as far as the museum goes, it'll just keep going the same, you know, touch wood, as it as it is now. But it's it's one of those things that 
you you just got to keep adding to it, make okay. it different because people that have been in five years ago, they come out and they show other people and they say, oh, I go and have a look. And I say, well, it was different then to what it is now. Um, so we keep changing things around, like put stuff away and then put other things out or we don't, we only put a few of something out instead of a whole collection of them, you know, like the, the cereal toys that you used to have in your packets of cereal, you know, your cornflakes and wheat picks and all them, all the little novelty toys that come out in the 50s, 60s and 70s. Those, we only, we've probably got about 100 out on display at the moment, but I'll probably change that and may only have a dozen and then make room for something else. And then you get people say, oh, we didn't have that before. And I go, well, I did. But, you know, might not have had so many out or might have had more out or mm -hmm. missed it. So, And then people walk around the museum and they go, oh, I'm going to have another look around because I'm sure I've missed something. And I'll go, yeah. and they come around, they walk around and they go, well, you know, that's amazing because I didn't see that the first time I walked around. The reality of what we can take in at a first glimpse or a first attempt in, in our learning process is 7%. We, we actually take in 7% of what we actually see on our first trip around a museum or anything like that. On the second trip yep. around, that can actually rise to 30%. So it's right. always good to go back and revisit something you've seen before because you will only increase your, your attention and comprehension of, of, a, uh, of an experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds that sounds feasible. That sounds about right because people, as I say, they walk around and they go, oh, "I didn't see that before, but it was there." So it was right in front of them, and they, you know, yep. you know that they're looking at it, but they probably don't comprehend it because I think it's, you know, there's a lot to take in. There's over forty thousand items in the museum, so yeah, it's a lot to take in. Yeah, it's impossible to comprehend it even in the first or second trip. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and I get people come back about you know once or six or eight months or whatever they come back in again and they come in and they're just in awe about it and there are other people they go oh I've got brought these friends they would like to have a look so and so they stand outside and they go oh wow and they tell them something about something in there oh we didn't see that when we was here last <laughs> so it does change mm. it does change. so. Anybody that was here just before Christmas, well, they would know a difference now because there's a lot of stuff that's been changed. So we've now got Hornby O-Gage um, up on the wall um, and now we've got um, Hornby Double O as a running layout, Trying, Trying Hornby as a running layout. We've got Trying TT. Uh, we've got um, Double O Nine as a layout. N gauge and soon to have Z gauge and we've got G gauge outside which is a running layout which we're actually going to extend so we just picked up some more rail to extend it so it makes it interesting so there's always something different so there's you know Thomas the tank engine that we run outside and inside um, when people ask if the weather's okay um, if it's too hot, we're not going to run it. Or if it's wet, we're not going to run it. Mm -hmm. so, but yeah, so that's, you know, there's a lot to see. Mm. David, in the journey of business, has there ever been a time where you've just felt like giving up? Uh, 
Yeah, well, our quietest time is usually around December, January, because it's so hot. And I think, oh, I might just close and then open up open up when the, you know, the season starts again. But then again, last year, not this year, last year we were, we were more busier during that period of time, I think probably because of the end of COVID, I think, and we was going to change the roof on the building and we just didn't have the time to do it. Mm-hmm. So hopefully this, this season we probably, at the end of this season we probably will. So it's just, I don't know if I want to close, it's just that you think sometimes I don't get anything done as well. Okay. <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, the museum takes up most of the time. Right. Well, so what do you do beyond the museum yourself? Uh, restore cars. Okay. And th- that's a point of income for you or is that, again, a hobby? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes and no. So it all sort of balances out at the end of the day. Right. It's all multiple flexible income streams. Yeah, something like that. And if you do one thing, you'll get totally bored. Okay. And you're always looking for a change. So I'm a builder by trade, but when Dad retired 30-plus years ago, so did I. Okay. I thought, well... I've had enough of this. Yep. So, so I thought, right, I just wanted to do the museum. I opened that up like in end of 1994. Uh-huh. So it's been going a fair while. Yeah, next year what you'll be sitting on 30 years. 30, 30 years, yeah. Yeah. Do you have a celebration uh, planned for that? Uh, I don't know, probably not. Ah, oh, no, we've got to market I that. I might put a sign out. I might put a sign out and say celebrating 30 years of, you know, having the museum open. But, yeah, but I've always had a collection and had a collection of, and I used to do displays and different shows and things like that, um, you know, like throughout the state I've done and then, um, you know, taken stuff to different hobby events and yes. things like that. But, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. So sometimes... Sometimes the toy museum goes mobile. Yes, sometimes, yes. Yep. Not okay. very often, but sometimes. Right. So I get invited to different shows and, and things like that around the country, but it's the logistics of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got to have someone here to look after it while I'm not here. And then, yeah, it's hard getting away. Yep. So trying to wait occasionally, which is, you know, good. We just had the big toy swap meet in Adelaide at Wavell Showgrounds, and then we had the model train exhibition on this last weekend just gone. So we went down there and found a few more model trains to add to the collection. So it's, yeah, it's a a never-ending thing that just keeps adding to all the time. People come in and they go, do you actually still buy? And I go, yes, because the interest is there, you know what I mean? I think the cure is, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins. I'm working on it. So, yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of men that think like that. However, he enjoys life the most is the one who wins. Is there a business proverb, uh, a piece of advice that you would pass on to younger uh, business owners that would help them grow and develop their business, particularly when they kind of hit a hit a struggle? And I know for you. Like uh, interstate tourism is 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 as critical as as in-state tourism, so COVID would have played a huge part in in uh, affecting your business there. But 
Is there a piece of advice you'd pass on to young business owners to inspire them to uh, never give up? Well, I was just about to say, probably. The one thing is just keep at it and just stay positive and don't give up. Don't let other people try to rule you as what, oh, don't do that because, you know, you're not going to get ahead and all the rest of it. So then you become despondent in what you're actually doing. So think positive and go ahead and just keep adding and doing it because that way it keeps you more motivated, keeps you healthy. It just helps in all ways. So I think that's the way to go is just to stay positive about what you're doing. Yeah, I, I often share with people that an opinion is a survey of one. So when, when you let too many opinions in your life, you're letting people change the direction, direction. Of, yeah, of what you want to take your business yeah. to. And you're no longer often true to yourself because you're trying to please other people. But there is a passion that you've got inside yourself you want to see become reality. And that's the healthy one to pursue. Well, it's been really, really great talking to you today, and I appreciate your time. There's a question that I ask at the end of, of each interview, and it's one day your life will be reduced to a sentence, maybe a paragraph. It'll be written on a plaque somewhere. What would you most like to be remembered for that you could put into a, a simple sentence or a simple paragraph? I really haven't thought about it. It's just one of those things that, um, I don't know, maybe he died with the most toys or something. <laughs> well, you, you I, could, I don't know. You, you could know. definitely have that title. That'll, that'll fit on yeah. a plaque. But, but what would you like to leave to inspire generations behind you uh, to feel like your life was, was really worth it? I think a positive outlook on whatever you want to do, do it. Yep. You know, don't leave it till your retirement because sometimes it doesn't happen. And we see so many people that that come here and, you know, they, they retire and then they're going to travel around Australia or whatever. Um, you know, one of them gets sick and then it's not happening. So I just say, do what you want to do now while you can. Yep. Because, you know, you just don't know what's around the corner. You know, we didn't know that COVID was going to come around four years ago. So, you know, who would have thought that, you know, that would have had an impact on, you know, most businesses in Australia. So, you know, like you just got to, I think, just stay positive. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I love you. I love your inspiration there in the sense that it's kind of a matter of do it now. Yeah. Because you don't yep. know what's happening next. Yep. That's right. So, you know, if you want something, go and do it now. Yeah. Because saving for a rainy day is probably not not the way to go. You're still going to survive. Yep. So yep. That's, that's the way I work anyway. Well, it's been nice to uh, have a conversation today. Uh, and, it, and you are an inspirational person. You probably often don't feel it like most people don't. They... They no, feel like I'm just good. I'm just an ordinary person just having a go. Being in your museum and seeing everything the way that it's put in a, in a little eclectic type way, but but still it was just an amazing experience and one of the highlights of our trip through South Australia. Yep. Uh, and and we we learnt so much while we were there and learnt from you and just learnt from what we saw there. And I just yep. wish I had my my grandkids with me because I would have enjoyed. 
<laughs> just uh, letting them experience it all as well. But it, yeah. it was a special place to visit and, and congratulations on building an amazing collection. Yeah, well, thank you. So just on a, on a note, we're open from 9.30 till 5.30, seven days a week, but 99 times out of 100, we're here. So you need to just ring the doorbell and then we'll come and open up. And as you're driving through Wilmington in South Australia, you will see a few Land Rovers and old cars parked out the front and don't drive past because it is definitely the highlight of, of the trip uh, from the Flinders Ranges down to towards Adelaide, towards the, the Port Augusta in that area there. You'll really be thankful that you did. Well, thanks, David, for your time. And I look forward to our next trip to the SA Toy Museum. Yep. Thank you.